Good morning. I said good morning. How's everybody doing out there? You know, how's, are you guys a bless? Uh, we, I just welcome you to be in the house of the Lord. Live stream, we welcome you. Um, we're just going to have a blessed day. We're definitely going to have a blessed day in the house of the Lord. Everybody stand. I'm just going to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. All right. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for today, Father. We just thank you for letting us be in the house one more time, oh Lord Jesus. We just magnify your name, Father. We just pray for when people come in, oh Lord Jesus, let them, see, let them receive something unto today, Father. Oh God, Father, as we play unto you, oh Lord Jesus, let them hear you, let them hear the voices, Father. Let them hear the message, oh Lord Jesus, that we present to you, Father. Oh God, anybody that's hurt, oh Lord Jesus, let them be healed, Father. Oh Lord Jesus, right now in the name of Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Father. Let us, let us be united. Let us be together, Father. And oh God, I just praise you. I just magnify your name, oh Lord Jesus. Let us love each other, Father. No hatred, Father, but love, Father, in the midst of Lord Jesus. And just pray for the, the singers. Just pray for the, the, the leader. Just pray for everybody's in the house, oh Lord Jesus. And I just pray, amen and amen. Brother Tim, I asked Tim to say a nice little prayer over the service today. We got it. We got a nice little prayer. But good morning, everyone. Let's just uh, begin to lift our voices before the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Goodness, find what you're looking for. 
For God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us, whoever believes in him will live forever. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. Let's sing that one again. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. Come on, John 3:16. For God so loved. The world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us, whoever believes in him will live forever. Come on, the power of hell, the power of hell, forever defeated, now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so loved, God so loved. The world. Come on, praise God. Praise God.
everlasting life. Yesterday here at the church there was a wonderful memorial service for our brother John Eastwood and based on his confession of faith he's with the Lord for all of eternity right Hallelujah. now. God so Praise loved the God. world that he made a way to get to the other side and I just want to take a moment I want to pray for the family but I want to thank Pastor Wayne Zanke for officiating that service uh, Pastor Bill and I and Pamela were away, but uh, Pastor Wayne, wonderful job, beautiful. We watched it on live stream, and uh, it was a great service. The Lord was honored, and John was remembered very well. But let's pray for the Eastwood family if we can. Father, Lord, we, we love that verse, and we love singing that verse. We love living in that verse, that you so loved me, you, you so loved us, that you, you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And Lord, we stand on that verse today for our lives. We stand on that verse today for our brother John Eastwood. Father, we pray now for his family, for Sean and family, for Chrissy and uh, Tricia. Uh, we just pray, Lord, for your blessing, uh, Tracy, sorry. We just pray your blessing upon the family, the grandkids, and other uh, relatives that are grieving right now, touch them and strengthen them with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that many good things will come out of the memorial service yesterday. Many will turn to you for salvation and for comfort as we go forward. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Good to see the church filling up. Hallelujah. Let's continue to worship the Lord today. If you're at any time, if, if you feel like you need altar time, uh, we don't have our prayer team, but you can come to the altar and pray and just seek the Lord on your own. So feel free to step out if that's, if that's the case. So, so good. 
sing that part, there's no shadow you won't light up. If that's you today, I'm going to encourage you. You know, when Jesus met Zacchaeus, who climbed a tree to watch Jesus walk by, he said, Zacchaeus, get down off of that tree. And he came running down from that tree to meet Jesus. I'm just going to ask you, step out of your seat, not for me, not for anybody here, but for you, between you and the Lord, show the Lord something. Show the Lord that you mean business, that you, you recognize his love is chasing you down, and you're going to step out and you're going to receive his love. So as we sing, may the Holy Spirit lead you today. If you're at home today watching on live stream, I encourage you, find an altar. Right there in your living room, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, wherever you are, find an altar and make your peace with God.
us, Lord. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for your never-ending love, oh God. And we welcome your touch. We welcome your spirit here upon us today in a very special way. Lord, we open up our hearts to receive your love today.
Your breath. 
this place fill the atmosphere your glory god is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So there was a gift in tongues and then the interpretation of the tongues. The word, just in summary, was that the Lord paid everything for us, for you, for, for I, for all of us have relationship with him come to him receive him and live for him it's your time I felt that through the whole service it's your time somebody's time today just to give it up man give it up you got to surrender to the Lord we're going to sing one more chorus and but if there's anyone here this morning that you feel like, I, I need to receive Jesus. I need to renew my relationship with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to come forward, and uh, one of our leaders will come and pray with you real quickly. But let's let this last song be our prayer. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Uh, Pastor Bill, key of E. of my heart. 
God, unless you open our eyes, unless the Spirit of God moves upon us, we're lost. Our own efforts are never good enough, but Father, we just ask you, Lord, one more time, may your Holy Spirit fall mightily, heavily upon this place today. We welcome your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would disrupt all of our plans and let your plan be done today. But Lord, let our hearts be open to receive all that you have for us. During the course of this service, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Well, before we transition too much, I do want to share a prayer request with you. Uh, our sister, Jane Kostra, is in great need of our prayers this morning. She's got a, um, a fibrosis, uh, uh, emphysema, a very serious condition. And I uh, spoke with her daughter last night, and she said, please pray for my mom. So, Jane, if you're watching, we're praying for you. We're going to believe the Lord to touch you today. But can we join our hearts together, church? Come on, let's pray for our sister Jane. Father, Lord, we thank you that you are God. You are God. 
and you've made, you've made arrangements for us to have relationship with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the same healing God that you always have been. You're the same saving God and delivering God that you always have been. And Lord, today specifically, we're going to pray for some miracles to happen in this body of believers. First of all, I want to pray for our sister Jane. Lord, touch her as she's up there in the hospital. Let her get the medical care that she needs, and all that's wonderful. We thank you for that. But Lord, on top of that, may your hand of healing be upon her in a very powerful way. Let the doctors be baffled. Let the family be baffled and and amazed at what you're doing. But let Jane be well. Let her sense our prayers right now. Let her sense your presence right now in that hospital room. Fill that place with your spirit and with your angels, oh God. And we thank you for what you're going to do in that situation. Father, we pray for our brother Adrian this morning. Glad that he's here today. But Lord, continue to heal him of cancer and heal him of the after effects of the chemo treatments that are very disturbing. Just touch him and strengthen him today in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for anyone else here or maybe on live stream that's sick today, we pray for healing for any marriage that may be troubled, any person that may be under emotional duress. We pray, Lord, that you would lift up the heavy heart today and bring healing to our mind, our soul, our spirit, and our body. We pray, Lord, for any relationship that's broken to be mended by the power of your spirit. And we just pray, Lord, for an atmosphere and an attitude of faith to arise within the body of Christ that my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or imagine. And so, Lord, to you be glory in the church today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap today. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to- Am I on now? Okay. Well, a couple of quick announcements. Pamela and I celebrated our 44th anniversary yesterday. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) And uh, I want to thank the Lord for my wife, who stood by me all these years through thick and thin. She's my best friend and my prayer partner, and she's my wife. She's my soulmate forever. Pamela, I love you. If I, I had to do it over again, I'd marry you today. But praise the Lord. (laughs) You can see some nice pictures on Facebook. You'll get a chuckle out of them. Somebody said, is that you? I said, yeah, that was me. Um, Also, Rick and Dottie got married on Friday. So praise the Lord for that. (laughs) Wonderful and congratulations to you. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Catching up. One day at a time. And uh, Steve and Jenny Swanson were here earlier, and their 11th anniversary was on Friday. So it's a big time for uh, anniversaries. But anyway, praise the Lord. Pam, you have an announcement? Good morning.
morning, church. Good to see all of you today. Um, just want to let the parents know that Kids Church is starting up again today. Last week it had to be canceled because we lost power. So those of you with children ages 5 to 12 is all that we're set up for right now. Um, when pastor dismisses you, just please Parents, take your kids downstairs. If you're here for the first time, you'll have to fill out a form. Okay, so thank you so much. All right. So are we ready to dismiss now? Why don't we all stand together? All the kids, come on up here. And we'll pray for the kids. Then we'll pray for the offering. And once the kids go that way, you all can come this way and give your offering. How does that sound? Come on, somebody talk to me. Sound like a plan? All right. So kids, you could face all the adults, and thank you for being in church today. And uh, after we pray for them, church, I want everyone to clap for these kids. All right? Everyone applaud for these children. Father, thank you for these children today. Thank you that they're in church. Thank you for their friends or family members that brought them today. We pray your blessing over each and every one as they make their way to kids' church. Thank you for our teachers. Let them have a wonderful time in your presence. And Lord, we also want to pray for the offering that you would bless it, multiply it, Lord, to meet the needs of this fellowship. You know what they are. And may your blessing rest upon the giver as well. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Today, um, I just wanted to announce our brother Mark Neistead back there waving his hand at us has been attending for a couple of months now. But Mark is a Christian artist and he's having his work displayed at the Wicked Big Cafe in Haverhill throughout the month of August. So you may want to make your way down there if you can and support, support our brother and uh, share and appreciate his artwork. So thank you, brother Mark, for sharing that with me today. Praise the Lord. Okay, well, take your Bibles, if you would. And uh, we are in 1 John chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. And I want to continue in our series of messages through 1 John. So every message will be based out of this epistle, which is quite challenging, because every week I have to trust the Lord for a pertinent word no matter where we are in the book, to make it appropriate for the church. But God is faithful to do that. Um, I've entitled the message today, Confession. 
And uh, we want to talk about confession, forgiveness, and repentance as it applies to the believer after salvation. So let me read and then we'll pray. 1 John 1, starting at verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sin, and not only ours only, but also for the whole world. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Lord, thank you for the freedom we have to read and preach and proclaim the truths of your word here in this country. I pray, Lord, that this time will be well spent, that we can remain focused on what you're saying, how you're speaking to the church today. Holy Spirit, as we sang, you are welcome here, absolutely. Especially now, as we get into your word, may your word come alive in our hearts, and may we be able to apply it to our lives. So, Lord, in the process of preaching, we pray that you will be glorified and you will be pleased and your people will be challenged and edified. Lord, anoint my lips that I may preach the way you want me to preach today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. amen. And amen. So I want to talk about this subject regarding sins that we've committed or sins that have been committed against us. You know, there are different types of sins that happen. I mean, we commit sins, but sometimes people sin against us, and then we have to deal with that reaction to whatever happened. But usually when sin happens, in any case, in one or the other, something negative comes out of it. Sin is always destructive. Sin always has a goal, and that goal is spiritual death for the person. Usually when sin occurs, either sin that we commit or sin that is committed against us, there's hurt feelings involved. There's pain. There's, there's sorrow or confusion. There's a sense of brokenness or maybe even anger or maybe even depression. Or maybe there's a, a reaction of low self-esteem because we just feel terrible because we blew it. Or we feel prideful and we try to get above it in our own strength. All of which these things are, are not places where the Lord wants us to live, by the way. And thank the Lord, he's made arrangements for us not to live in those places. So I was thinking about this as we studied, as I prepared for this, and I, I thought about the context of, of, of what John was saying. Because when you look at 1 John chapter 1, and think back over the last couple of sermons, but verses 1 and 2, he just comes out swinging, in, in my terminology. There's no greeting there's no, how are you, you know, but my beloved. There's none of that. There's, there's just that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, etc. Et we declare to you. That life was manifest. He just comes right out and, and just gets into it right away. In verses 3 and 4, he gets into the whole concept of fellowship. We declare this to you so that we could have fellowship together and that our fellowship could be with the Father and with the Son. 
And then he goes into what we talked about last week, the glorious light. God is light. Jesus is the light of the world, and he calls us to walk in that light. And here, now he's talking about confession of sin. And these issues are very big issues for the church. The deity of Christ, fellowshipping with the saints, the light of the world, and confession of sin. They're all huge topics for the church through the ages. But my question was, why is he addressing it in this epistle? And why is, he, why is he dealing with it the way he's dealing with it? And in my studies, I realized what he was doing was confronting a heresy that was developing within the church. It's referred to as a different gospel. Scholars have named it the Gnosticism or the, the teachings of the Gnostics, G-N-O, Gnostics. It's a different gospel that came from within the church that disavows the deity of Christ, disavows the Trinity, which downplays the doctrine of the fathers, which really encouraged and, and talked about the need for fellowshipping with one another, diminished the role of the blood of Jesus, and salvation, as far as the Gnostics was concerned, because Gnostics means knowledge in the Greek. So their whole thing was, you're saved by, not by Jesus, you're saved by what you know. Your knowledge saves you. And your mystical experiences save you. Look with me in chapter 2 for just a minute. In chapter 2, verse 18, John writes, My little children, meaning my, my beloved uh, children in the faith, it's the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it's the last hour. And they went out from us. This is the interesting thing. They came from within the church and went out and, and tried to pervert the church. Paul said the same thing when he was in Ephesus. As he was leaving, he said, Mark my words, when I leave here, ravenous wolves will come in from among you and try to steal the good that we've done already. And so in the church at that time, there was this heretical teaching that you're saved by knowledge, not by the blood. You're saved by your knowledge and mystical experiences. In verse number 20, uh, it says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So John is telling the church, you know better than that, than to follow a false teaching. Look at verses 26 and 27 real quick. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. This, John's a good pastor here. He's warning the church, I'm writing to you, somebody's trying to deceive you. About what? What, the deity? About fellowship? about the light, about the purpose of confession of sin. Um, verse 27, and verse 27 is often uh, misunderstood. It says, the anointing that you have, uh, you have received from him abides in you, and you don't need that anyone should teach you. People take this really the wrong way. Some people will take that and say, I don't need a teacher because I have the Holy Spirit. He's saying in this case regarding the work of the Antichrist spirit and, de and, and uh, deceptive doctrine, you don't, need, you don't need that teacher to teach you anything. You need the Holy Spirit to teach you. Not to, not to say in Ephesians 4, the Lord has given to the church pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So there's no contradiction. So if you ever read that verse and say, I don't need to go to church, I don't need a teacher, that's a misapplication of the verse. You don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you that that doctrine is wrong. That's what he's saying here. 
So he says in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, don't believe every spirit, test the spirits, because there's many false prophets that have gone out into the world. So I think, I think about that, right? I'm, I'm preparing for this message, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I get the context of that, but, but then it dawned on me that the same problems that were happening then are happening now in a little lesser degree, but happening nonetheless. Let me explain what I mean. This whole uh, uh, doctrine of the deity of Jesus is coming under scrutiny. And now we're being pressured by outside forces to include those without an orthodox doctrine into the, into the, the realm of Christianity, such as Mormons or such as Jehovah's Witnesses that don't believe in the deity of Jesus or don't believe in the, the Trinity. We have others that are involved in the oneness Pentecostal theology, which sometimes people get confused with our theology. But there is a world of difference between the two. Oneness theology says, in order to be saved, you've got to be baptized in water, and you've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. We do not believe that whatsoever. We believe in water baptism. We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But we're saved by faith in God. But there's this movement in the, in the country, in the world, to embrace all these different doctrines and different people that, 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 that are teaching these things. There are some TV preachers that embrace that theology. There's some, some authors that are very successful, Christian authors, that have this oneness doctrine. So, so it does apply to today, in a sense. And I thought about the, the, the doctrine of fellowship. How today, uh, in, in our culture... Many people will say, you don't need to go to church. You, you, it's just you and God. You can have fellowship at home. Well, you can have fellowship at home, but the teachings of the fathers are to go to church and not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Especially in light of the whole COVID problem and how, how most churches are running at half what they used to. And so there's a need for a clarity of what's going on. Then, then, then John spoke about the light. And I thought about the light. Man, I know some new age, uh, new age ministries that talk about the light of Jesus Christ. It's a different light, but they talk about the light. They talk about worshiping the sun and the stars. They talk about crystals and soul travel and things like that. It's a different light, but they talk about the light. And now in verses 8 through chapter 2, we're talking about confession of sin. And there's a movement now that would say in our, in our culture... That once you become a Christian and you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ for the rest of your life, anything that you do is now covered by the blood and you're okay. And I don't know that I can believe that. If I believe that, I'd have to cut these verses out of my Bible. So the, the, the idea is that the end justifies the means. But what I'm saying today is that the means of how we get there matters how we live, how we worship, how we process the Word of God. It's all important for us. And so as John is straightening out the church, then the Holy Spirit is keeping the church of today on the straight and narrow path. Let me go a little deeper into what I'm talking about. Paul said the same thing in Romans 6. The question is, should I continue in sin so that grace may abound? You know what Paul's response was? Certainly not. One translation says, God forbid, no. You don't continue in sin so that grace would abound. It says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in sin? 
So it's a rather cavalier, prideful, arrogant attitude to say, I'm washed by the blood. I can do whatever I want now and go about my business without being concerned about getting myself dirty in what I used to be in. In the church today, we have many that will say, live and let live. Leave me alone. Don't tell me what to do. Don't point out my sins or my shortcomings. I'm okay. And that's why there's many Christians today, you may know some, that are in trouble. They're in trouble with the law. They got, they got in trouble. They did something illegal, and now they have to stand before the court system. Or they're in trouble with paying their child support because they don't do it. Or they're, they're in trouble in some type of legal issue that they got involved with. They're in trouble with adultery, or they're in trouble with pornography. You hear it all the time. And I, I, wonder, I wonder if that is the result of taking our sin after salvation too lightly. This is, my, this is my position today. Without a heart of repentance, without a, a grieving of, of, of how we violated the Lord, we're setting ourselves up to get weaker and weaker and weaker, and finally, according to Satan's plan, to be wrapped up again and torn away from the presence of God. James says it like this. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Each Christian, let me, each Christian is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So let me just make a little comment. You've got desires, I've got desires. When we're tempted when these desires are, are alive and it starts to, our brain is working, our spirit is, we, we have to have it, whatever it is. We, we, we feel it and we're enticed by it. And then, then when desire has conceived. So the temptation isn't bad in and of itself. But when we think about it and, and consider it and, and, and finagle our way to do it, right? When, when, uh, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has been fully grown, it brings forth death. And James says, don't be deceived, my brother. So it's, it's like there's a battle going on in our soul. No one will even know about it. But if we're smart and wise, we'll be able to figure out that's a temptation from hell. I'm not getting close to that because I know Satan's agenda is to kill, rob, and destroy. I'm not going there. But that's the battle we're in. Peter says it this way. He quotes a proverb in 2 Peter 2.22. He's telling about how a person who was once enlightened returns to their sinful lifestyle. And it's a disgusting phrase, but I'll say it because it's in the Bible. He said he's like a dog that returns to his own vomit. Someone who's tasted the truth and, and turns away from the truth and goes into their old way is like a dog returning to their own vomit. Jesus addressed it as well. He said uh, an evil spirit, when an evil spirit leaves a man and goes away, and comes back and find that, finds that house or that life cleaned and straightened up. You know, and, and it's not protected. There's no resistance. He goes away, the evil spirit. He comes back again with seven more and causes havoc in that house because there's no resistance to his plan. And the last state of that house is worse than the first state. And what Jesus is saying is when your house is clean, you've got to keep it clean because the enemy is relentless. His agenda is to bring you back and destroy you. 
And how bad is that when a testimony goes forth? Oh, I, I was saved and I'm doing good. And, and a year later, you're back worse than you were before. It, it discounts what God did, did for you in the first place. So I want to go through these verses. And I want to then bring some application for us. After that, we're going to have communion. So verse number 8. 1 John 1, eight. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit so we can understand it a little bit easier. Verse number 8, my paraphrase is, as you look at your Bible, my paraphrase is, get real, everybody. Stop deceiving yourselves like the Gnostics. Don't think that your knowledge is going to get you anywhere. Uh, admit the fact that you have sin in your life. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're still sinners. We're all a work in progress. And so don't lie to yourself. Hopefully, however... The sin that we're dealing with now is less than the sin that we dealt with before. Hopefully, at salvation, we had a great you know, explosion of faith and deliverance and so forth, and all the overt things were taken care of. And now as we go along, the things that are inside, that no one sees, are coming to the light, and we're taking care of those things. But uh, if we say we have no sin, we're, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse number 9. How many, how many of you are familiar with verse number 9? 1 John 1, 9. Wait, raise your hand if you're familiar with it. Oh, man, you have got to get familiar with this scripture. This has been my, my standby for many, many a year. I call it the escape clause. If we confess our sins. Oh, if, so it's if-then scripture. If we confess our sins. If we admit it to God. If we come clean before him, if we don't sweep it under the, the rug and pretend it didn't happen, if we own up to what we did or what we said or what we thought, a look, an attitude, a, a prideful way, uh, if we tell God straight up what we did and just have open communication as though he didn't know already. And you have to think about that. Why do we have to confess if he knows already? That's like saying, why do we have to pray if he knows already? Because Jesus said, your father knows what you want before you pray. But when you pray, pray like this, our father who art in heaven. So there's something about relationship, right? He wants relationship. So if we confess, if we're just straight up with the Lord and tell him what we did, he then is faithful. He's dependable. His proven character, he's right there. He will not, he will not hurt you. He will not turn you away. His love will be reckless in a sense. He'll embrace you and love you and take care of you. He's faithful and he's just, he's fair, he's truthful, he's holy, he's righteous, he's straightforward. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I, I remember as a young person, I, I know I'm not the only one, but when I did something wrong, my father would get really upset with me. And uh, there were times when, you know, he, he had every right to be upset with me. But I would always wait for the moment when his look softened to me. Maybe a little smile, maybe a little cock of the head. Something, something that told me, everything's going to be all right. I still love you. That's what the Lord does. He, he forgives us. He, he lets us off the hook. You know, he, he releases us from that. And, and, and he, he forgives us, and then he cleanses us. I love the part where he cleanses. He erases the damage done to our relationship. He erases the conflict that we've had with God because of our own behavior. This is a great bargain, church. Isn't this a great bargain? Verse number nine. If we would confess and be sincere, 
He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, anything contrary to his character and his nature. And see, this is why a relationship is so important. Some will say, no, I got saved 20 years ago. I'm good. I could do whatever. I'm, I'm covered. No, no. What about the relationship? Where's verse 9 here? Where, where's, the, where's the give and take? Where's the confession before God? Where's the healing and the forgiveness on a daily basis, in fact? Verse number 10, continuing. If we say that we have not sinned, now we're making him a liar. This is not a good thing. Verse number 8, we make us a liar. Verse number 10, we're making him a liar. You know, I've had people talk to me about how they're not a sinner anymore. Don't refer to me as a sinner. I've had people ask me, how do I deal with people who tell me that they're saved and justified and they're no longer considered a sinner? And, and, and I, my response is, well, first of all, you have to see what the Bible says. And I show them this passage of Scripture. And I remember Peter said to the Lord, Lord, be, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter said that. Paul said in 1 Timothy, he said, I'm the worst sinner of all. I'm the worst one of all. And so we are sinners saved by grace. So chapter 2. So my little children, these things I write to you so that you don't sin. Well, let's go back. What is, what is he writing so far? He's writing about the deity. He's writing about fellowship with one another. He's writing about fellowship with the Father and with the Son. He's writing about the light of Jesus Christ. He's writing about the, the need for confession and, and, uh, and short accounts with God. But I'm writing so that you don't sin. And then it says, and if anyone sins. I always, in my mind and spirit, I always say it like this. But whenever anyone does sin, this is almost inevitable. It's going to happen sooner or later. I mean, none of us are perfect yet. But when, when that happens, we have two things. We have an advocate and we have a propitiation. Two very important doctrines that are, I want to talk about for just a minute. We have an advocate with the Father. And, and what, a, what a picture of, of, of a lawyer, of an attorney, of a spokesperson on our behalf, pleading our case before our Father in heaven, saying good things about us, covering us, because we don't know how to deal with it. If you've ever been to court and you had a need of a lawyer, you'll know. They, they know the lingo. They know the system. We don't know. I don't know the system. I don't know what to do. But if I had a lawyer, he would take care of me, or she would take care of me. Jesus is the advocate if we've sinned, pleading our case before the Father. Romans eight thirty four says, He who died and was resurrected and now sits at the right hand of God, he makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, He always lives to make intercession for us, uh, for those who, who, tr who turn to God through him. My pastor used to tell me many years ago, we could never say, no one loves me, no one's praying for me, no one cares about me, because Jesus is always loving you and praying for you and interceding for you. He's always there for you. And he is the propitiation, verse number 2. He uh, is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Let me try to explain what that means. He is the scapegoat. He's the penalty bearer. He's the one who took the wrath of God on our behalf upon himself. So he is our advocate. 
our intercessor. He is our propitiation. He's our, he's our penalty bearer. And so I think this is a pretty good arrangement. Don't you? I mean, I didn't realize all this when I first came to the Lord right before I got married 44 years ago, but I'm glad there's an arrangement that God has made for me, for all of us to have relationship with him in spite of our ongoing sin nature rearing its ugly head every now and again. So I want to give you three things to think about uh, as, we, as we get through this part of the, the passage. The first uh, application here is that confession is definitely a twofold event. There's absolutely two ways to look at it. One way to look at it is there must be confession and forgiveness of sin when we first come to the Lord for salvation. You know, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching and, and the people of Israel were convicted and they responded and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? In Acts chapter 2, what shall we do? We're, we feel what you're saying. We feel the conviction. What do we do? The very first thing that Peter said on the very first day of the birth of the church to kind of set the record straight, he said, repent and be baptized in water as symbolic of what you've done. So there has to be repentance when we come to the Lord, absolutely, in salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all to come to repentance, to be saved, to have right relationship with him. Paul said in another place in 2 Corinthians, he said, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, whereas the sorrow of the world produces death. Two types of sorrow. A godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, but a sorrow of the world, like sorry I got caught, is, is producing death within us. So whenever you think about confession, there has to be confession when you get saved. There has to be repentance of, of what you've done to put yourself in the condition that you're in. But that's just the very beginning. I remember when I first came to the Lord that day in North Carolina with Pamela and my friend Lenny and his wife Shanna, they led us in a sinner's prayer, and I confessed my sins. Little did I know, that was only the beginning of a lifetime of confessing my sins before God. Now, the second part of this comes under what I would call the area of consecration. Well, we could be saved, but now the Lord is calling us to be consecrated to God. So I suppose someone could be saved and not be consecrated, but to me, that would be a terrible predicament to be in because you couldn't really enjoy the presence of God and you really couldn't enjoy your sin either. You're somewhere in the middle of that. And so if, if, there's, a, a, if there's a gripe that I would have with the evangelical church of today, it would be that every, you know, it's wonderful. You preach salvation through Jesus. Yes, repent, yes. But now let's talk about what happens afterwards. We call it, we in the Pentecostal church call it consecration. A salvation happens, yes, praise God, but now, now we take up our cross and we carry our cross, we follow Jesus. So in 2 Timothy 2, there's this wonderful little teaching that Paul gives. He says, in a great house, there's, there's, uh, there's two types of vessels, vessels of gold and vessels of wood. Paraphrase, in a great church, there's two types of people. 
People that are vessels of gold and people that are vessels of wood. The vessels of gold are actually vessels of honor that are useful for the master to use. They're sanctified. But the vessels of wood are unrighteous, unsanctified, and they're not useful for anything. So I guess you have to make a decision what you want to be, either a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. And I would say after a while, if you're a vessel of dishonor, you're probably either going to get discouraged and leave the church or you're going to get right and press in deeper and get it become a vessel of honor. I don't know how someone could continue to be a vessel of dishonor without feeling such conviction by the Lord. Are you with me, church? So he says in that passage, 2 Timothy 2, he says, if you want to be a vessel of honor, he, he uses this phrase, flee youthful lusts. I can't tell you how many people I know that are old that are still fleeing youthful lusts. It's in their head, in their mind. It's a battle all the time. But if you want to be a vessel of honor, you've got to flee youthful lusts. You've got to pursue righteousness, it says. Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. You know, avoid that, pursue that. You can't be stagnant and expect to be used by God as a vessel of honor. You, like I said, you may be a vessel in the great house, in the church. But how long will that last? If you want to be a vessel of honor, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, and avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, and become a vessel of honor. You could say that that now is up to us. It's not like God says, okay, you're a vessel of honor, you're a vessel of dishonor, you're a vessel of honor, you're a vessel of dishonor. It's not like that. God has given us the option. What do we want to do now that we're in this realm of the church? Is everybody with me? So this, to me, I mean, uh, again, John is addressing Gnosticism. Is there a touch of that in the overall church of today? It doesn't matter how you live. Yes, it does. It doesn't matter what you do or you, know, you obey the word or even go to church. Yeah, yeah, everything matters. You want to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? Okay, the second one is this regarding confession. Now, I really want the word of God to speak to this one because it's a rather deep subject. But forgiveness from God is relative to our forgiveness of others. When I first read that, I said, that, that, that can't be right. Because I, I have anger. I have, I have issues with people. When someone wrongs me or my family, boom, I want to get even. This is it's my nature. It's my character. So that can't be right. And I realize it is right. Because now as a Christian, we have a new heart, a new spirit, a new way, a new approach, a new empowerment within us to live a godly life in the midst of all the stuff that happens around us. But our forgiveness from God is relative to how we forgive other people. Oh, my goodness. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you of your sins. Hallelujah. He didn't stop right there. Then he said, if you don't forgive them of their sins, your heavenly Father won't forgive you of your sins. And I say, oh, my goodness. Really? Well, as a new creation in Christ, we can. James says it like this. Judgment is without mercy 
to the one who shows no mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. Someone hurt you? Someone wronged you? Someone sinned against you? We're called upon to show mercy to them. Paul says it like this in Colossians 3. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also forgive others. And we could go on and on and on, but the way we receive God's forgiveness is the way we forgive other people. And I keep saying, oh my goodness. But this does not relieve that person or those people from their responsibility to God. All it does is take us off out of the equation, which we don't belong in that equation anyway. What they do is between them and God. What I do, what we do is between us and God. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 18. He said, if someone has wronged you, sinned against you, and reading between the lines, what he's saying is, don't go tell everybody, as in gossip, but go talk to that person, one-on-one. Go talk to them. If you want them over, you know, you've gained a brother. If you straighten out, you gained a brother. If he doesn't receive what you have to say, Go back again with another couple of believers and try to talk it out. If that doesn't work, uh, tell it to the church and let some of the leaders get involved. Let them try to sort, sort it out. And if that doesn't work, wash your hands and walk away. Leave them, leave them to the Lord and you're free of it. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So you do your part and leave it in God's hands. But the way we're forgiven by God is how we deal with issues against us. And to me, that's a very difficult situation. Most of us have not been brought up that way. We were brought up to get even, right? Turn the other cheek. No, <laughs> that, no I'm not going to. But that's the, way, that's the way of Christ, to turn the other cheek and to show mercy even in the most difficult situations. My, what I receive out of this is my solace, my peace, is that if I turn away from someone who wronged me, I can walk away, but they still have to deal with God. That helps me. You know, that helps me. That's the way it should be. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He'll take care of it. So I don't have to deal with it. I can let it go. And how I let it go, then the Lord receives me in my prayers, in my, my plea for forgiveness. He sees my heart in the whole thing. The third thing is this, that God has given, given us the victory already. He's given us the victory already. Jesus said one time, the kingdom of God suffers violence, right? But the violent take it by force. But we've got a victory, but we've got to fight the fight. As, as, as our brother Aaron would say, we've got to armor up. We've got to put on the armor of God. We've got to fight the fight. We've got, we've got, we can't stand still and be passive and expect to get the victory. I mean, the victory is there, but we've got to pursue the victory and and make the victory our own. In Romans 6, verse 11 through 14, Paul says to the church there, he he says, think like this, consider this. Consider that you're dead to sin and alive to God. Think that way, that sin was crucified, nailed to the cross, and don't pick it up again. Don't let sin reign in your body. Let Christ reign in your body. 
Don't present yourself as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself as instruments of righteousness. Be a soldier. Be a warrior. Be a combat person for the kingdom of God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for we're not under law, but we're under grace. We're not under law where it's, you know, it's strict and it's harsh and it's punishment. You're under grace where there's forgiveness and freedom and love. And in that realm, Paul says, be strong in the grace that is in you. And Paul also says, there's no temptation that has overcome you that is not common to man. Everyone has temptation. But God is faithful. With the temptation, he's given you the way out of that temptation. He's given you a way of escape. Remember the woman caught in adultery. Caught in the very act, the Bible says. And the, the men are there ready to stone her to death. And, and, and they're ready to do that. And, and, and Jesus says, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they put their stones down and, and they all go away. And, and the woman is left there and Jesus said, I don't condemn you either, but now go and sin no more. What he's saying is fight the good fight. Let the Holy Spirit empower you to stay on the straight and narrow So he says to us today, go and sin no more. But if you do, come back to Jesus. Don't let that sin grow in your spirit. Don't let that bitterness grow in your your psyche. Don't let that thing fester in you. Satan has an agenda to tear you down and make you more messed up than you were before. Confess it to the Lord. Keep the slate clean until you meet the Lord in glory one day. Can I get an amen right there? So in in conclusion, the confession of sin, twofold application, definitely at salvation, definitely at consecration for the rest of our lives. Forgiveness is relative. How we deal with others is how God's going to deal with us. Kind of like a sowing and reaping principle. But we have the victory already. It's all lined up. That's why we always talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll have the power to be my witnesses. You won't be living a lifestyle of sin anymore. You'll be living a godly, spirit-filled life, and you'll be a witness for me. I could change a life. So I want to focus on verse number 9 as we prepare our hearts for communion. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can we say that together, church? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One more time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, nine. Every head bowed for just a moment. I wonder if this sermon, and those of you at home as well, if if you could write a comment if this is speaking to you today. But I wonder if there's some here that, and you're, you're happy to say one day you came to Jesus. One day you gave him your heart. And you felt clean. You felt right. And and maybe the months and the years have gone by and you've picked up some things that you used to do or think about and and you're kind of dwelling in those things and you're not progressing as a Christian person. And you realize that 
And you also realize that right now, I, I need to make a confession to God. I need to confess to God and clean the slate. once. Again. Not that I need to get saved again. I'm saved. I'm just dirty. I need to clean the slate and allow the Holy Spirit to purify my heart once again. Because you realize, I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. I want to be a vessel of honor, useful for the master. So, so quickly, is there anyone here today that feels like, I need to receive Christ. I need to to re-receive Christ. I need to wipe the slate clean in my heart today before we partake of communion. Anyone like that at all? Raise your hand if that's you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? I need to wipe the slate clean. I confess my sins before God today. Anyone, anyone else? Anyone at home, just write a comment and we'll get back to you. So let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for this word today. That confession is an ongoing experience. But Lord, like our dear sister here, maybe for the first time, I'm not sure, but Lord, we all come to this place right now where we confess our sins before you, Lord. We repent of our sins. We acknowledge what we've said or done or how we felt about things, how we reacted in a given situation, very ungodlike. We admit it. But Lord, we confess it to you right now and ask you, Lord, to forgive us, cleanse our heart of any unrighteousness, and put us in good standing with you right now, O oh God. And Father, I would also add to the prayer for a fresh baptism in your spirit, that once we're clean, now that we're clean, that your Holy Spirit would keep us clean, that you would seal the work and, and put the power of your spirit, Lord, within us, that we'll be able to say no to certain things and yes to other things and prioritize the things in our lives that want to that make us grow or make us grow weaker. So, Lord, fill us with your spirit that we may be empowered to be a great witness for you in these days. So we thank you. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, does everyone have your little setup for communion. If you're at home, you quickly uh, get a cup of juice and a cracker or a piece of bread or water or whatever and uh, join us in communion. We welcome everyone to partake today. You don't need to be a member of this particular church. You need to be a member of the church. And so if, if you've accepted Christ, you're welcome to partake. Interestingly, Paul does say that uh, before we partake of communion, let a person examine their heart, which I believe we've just done. But make sure we're taking communion with a good, clean heart between God and between other people. Anyone need a communion set up? You could take out the little piece of bread there on the top. At that last supper... Jesus took bread and he broke it. You could picture it, right? Picture Italian bread, French bread. I picture Italian bread. <laughs> but breaking it off, you take a piece, you know, everyone has a piece of bread. It comes from a bigger hole. He says, this is, this is my body. This is symbolic of my body. You, you have a piece of me. 
And we know that he allowed, just shortly after that, he allowed his body to what? Be whipped, hit, bruised, speared, nails in, the crown of thorns, uh, for, to take our punishment. He's the penalty bearer. He's the propitiation. But this bread represents his body that was broken for you. So it says, take and receive it as often as you do. Do it in remembrance of me. And Paul said, do this until Jesus comes back again. This is the, the, the beauty of relationship with God. He wants us to have relationship until Jesus comes back again. It's not a one-time deal. It's a daily relationship. Give us this day our daily bread. So let's thank the Lord for his broken body. Father God, thank you that you sent Jesus to be our advocate, to be our propitiation, to be our penalty bearer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing your body to take all the abuse, punishment, and pain that we deserve for our sinfulness. Oh, God, it's too great to even think about. But all the punishment of hell was put on you so that we could walk away scot-free. And for that, Lord, we are forever thankful. And Lord, as we partake of the bread this morning, we're reminded of your brokenness. You, you allowed your body to be broken that we could be made whole. And we remember that today, and we will remember this until we see you face to face. So thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread together. have the cup after the supper was done Jesus took the cup and he said this cup is the cup of the new covenant this represents the new covenant in which there's remission of sins not by a lamb that's killed not by a grain offering that's burned up but by my life I'm ratifying a new covenant. By my blood, I'm establishing a new covenant. I'm, I'm giving my life for you through blood. And he says, take this cup and drink it. For in this, in this cup is the remission of sin. In this new covenant, there's forgiveness. Hallelujah. You'll never be good enough on your own. You can't get smart enough. You can't be rich enough to buy it. There's only one way to get forgiven, by receiving the blood. So do this in remembrance of me. Lord God, we want to thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for some of the artwork or some of the movies we've seen that graphically depict what it may have been like. It's just a glimpse of what it was probably really like, but we get the idea, Lord, that blood was poured out blood was poured out and blood was necessary to ratify the new covenant so Lord thank you for your blood that covers us as the blood of the lamb was placed over the doorpost of the 
Israel, Israelites' home back in the day when the death angel passed over their home because they saw the blood covering. We believe and we trust now, Lord, that death is passing over us because of the blood covering. And now we have the promise of eternal life. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your blood that was poured out. We give you all praise and all glory. Let's partake of the cup together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can we stand together? I feel we need to sing a chorus real quick here. The chorus of a great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. How many know it? How many know it? All right. Because you're going to have to help, help me out as we sing it. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness lord unto me oh great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i see all i have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness lord unto me amen hallelujah thank you lord well i'm going to invite everyone to step out of your seat and gather right up here in the front haven't done this in a long time but i feel the unction of the holy spirit say get everyone together just for a minute so we can pray over everybody. Amen? Praise the Lord. God is good. God is good. All right. After I pray, just turn around and greet somebody. And if anyone needs prayer, the altars will be open for a little bit before you, know, before you go. It's good to see you all here today, by the way. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is good. God's doing a new thing. Amen. And uh, if you weren't here today, it wouldn't be like it is right now. You make it what it is. So praise the Lord. Visitors, we greet you, welcome you. Glad that you all came. Uh, this sister right here, Millie, gave your heart to the Lord today. You did. Praise the Lord. So I want to talk to you before you go home, all right? I want to talk to you before you leave. The, the scriptures say when someone does what you did, the angels rejoice. 
Angels rejoice, and people rejoice too. But God rejoices even more than all of us. He's happy you came to church today. You opened your heart to receive. Good for you. Good for you. Hey, we've all been there. We know the feeling. Oh, yeah. And it's a good feeling, actually. It's a good feeling. And when you had communion today, right, as a born-again believer, I trust that that communion had special meaning for you. For the first time, you could see what it was really all about. That, that was very valuable. Cherish that in your heart. That's wonderful. So let's pray. Father, Lord God, I want to thank you for this day, August the 1st, 2021, August the 1st. Lord, I want to thank you for July 31st, 1977, when Pam and I got married. And I want to thank you for August 1st of that year, and for all the years since then to this one, 44 years later, Lord, you have kept us. And Lord, if nothing else, may, may our lives be a testimony and a testament to everybody here, everyone that's watching our live stream, that God, you are faithful. Even when we're unfaithful, you are faithful to keep us. Great is thy faithfulness. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone here would sense your faithfulness. Even though we may stumble and fall, Lord, that you're right there to pick us back up again. I pray that no one would wallow in the mire too long. If anyone sins, get up again quickly and confess it and get on with your walk with God. Don't, don't linger in that negativity and sinfulness. It will lead to death. Lord God, bring us, bring us this, this word in our spirit as we leave here, as we make our way through the day and throughout the night. Let, let there be a fresh revelation that you want us to be clean. You want us to be holy, not to upset us or to punish us. This is a, a better way to live. And as such, we have sweet fellowship with you and sweet fellowship with one another. So Lord, help your church to aspire to live at the standard that you set for us. Above reproach is what your word says. Let us be clean. Let us stay clean. If we fall, Lord, let the conviction of your spirit Come quickly, let us repent quickly and get on with it with you. Well, I just pray for our church, Lord. Let us have a good day, a good evening, a good rest of the week. And Lord, bless next Sunday already. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. We'll have a wonderful day, everybody. Go in victory. Go in peace.